We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. I'll give you a minute to find that. And while you're turning there, let me take a moment as well to dismiss our kids and our leaders who will be headed upstairs for kids crew. Three Sundays out of the month, we do kids crew, a time of worship designed specifically for kids who are fourth grade and younger. And and we engage with them with stories of the Bible, also with lots of fun and interactive activities meant to help them not only know the story of the Bible, not not only understand, but ultimately leading them to acknowledge it and, and surrender to it, even as we saw this morning with both Ella Claire and Scout, that, that that's a product of our young people who hear these stories and it sinks in and they reach that point where they're ready to take that step of faith, trust in Christ as Savior. And Lord, we pray that for everyone, not just our kids, certainly for everyone, but it's uh, an important part of our ministry, which is why we focus so intentionally on trying to instill those truths in the lives of our young people as well. First Kings chapter 19, we're working our way systematically through the story of the Bible this year. We're calling this redemption story. And so we're, we're marrying together both what I'm teaching and preaching on and the text each Sunday from a Bible reading plan that we're working through. And this past week we read in First Kings and we spent some time in the middle of the week reading 1 Kings 18 and chapter 19. And this morning, I want us to look specifically at the story of what's taking place in 1 Kings chapter 19. But it's also important to understand, just for the sake of some context, what's taken place immediately before this in 1 Kings chapter 18. And so we'll jump into that in, in just a, a minute as well. You know, sometimes the, the most important lessons that we learn in life come as a result of some of the most difficult and trying seasons that we walk through. Have you ever been through a really hard situation? You've been through a trial or a difficult circumstance and God used that to teach you lessons. And, and I've had this conversation, it seems, with so many people over and over again, where we would acknowledge something like, you know, I would never choose to walk through that again. That wasn't the sort of thing that I wanted to experience. It's not the kind of thing I would choose to do again. And yet there's a nearness, there's a closeness and intimacy with God that I, that I learned through that, that I wouldn't trade away as well. And, and if you've been through something difficult like that, likely you can understand, you can relate what it's like to grow near to the Lord, even through the difficult seasons and the, the relationship that you build in that process becomes something that you value and you treasure those lessons and that closeness that you experienced as as you saw God near. Well, Elijah has a similar type of experience in 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has what is perhaps the sort of the the high point of his ministry. And, And I I use that phrase somewhat loosely because it's actually this, this, this epic moment in Elijah's prophetic ministry actually comes at what might be some of the lowest of the lows, the, the lowest valley of moments, so to speak, in the life of the nation Israel as Elijah squares off against the prophets of Baal. Baal was a, a false god that the, that the other nations surrounding the Canaanites is what we would call these other people groups in the land of Canaan. These people worshiped this false god, Baal, the god of fertility. And, 
So Elijah squares off against the prophets of Baal atop Mount Carmel in this sort of epic showdown. And if you've read 1 Kings 18, or you've, uh, whether you read that this week or you've read that before, you know that the whole thing ends with this miraculous moment that all day long the prophets of Baal cried out for fire to fall on this altar, this offering that they had constructed. And nothing happened, of course, because Baal was a false god. There's, there's no one to answer their prayers. And Elijah, after, after building an altar and then soaking it with water, no less during a time of great drought and famine in the land, Elijah pours out three times over this water on the, off, the, the altar, soaking it wet, and then prays to God that God would send fire from heaven. And the fire comes down and consumes the, the, the sacrifice, the altar, and everything around it. It says even that it licked up the dust, as it were. So it, it, this great fire falls, consumes Elijah's sacrifice, proving the power of God, of Elijah's God, that, that Elijah worships the one true God. But it's on the heels of that then that Elijah prays that God would send rain. God sends rain, a great rain in the land. And then Elijah kind of goes into a downward spiral of sorts. Elijah has some, what we would maybe today describe as depression, that Elijah goes through a, a hardship, a difficulty. Do you ever have that as well? I think we all can relate with Elijah's experience, many of us at least, that sometimes after we have maybe the highest of highs, we might also feel like we experience some of the lowest of lows. Well, this morning, Elijah's experience, what takes place here, I think will be instructive to us, not just simply from the perspective of how we deal with the valleys, the low moments, but also for us to understand that even in our hardship, God is near and he can work even through our trials. He can work even through those circumstances to use us and to reveal his power in some incredible ways in our lives. So let's read this together. First Kings chapter 19. I, there was one other thing. I glanced at my notes here. There's one other thing I, I wanted to mention just because I think it's something that we can all relate to. Uh, it's something that maybe helps tie all of this together in a way that's very tangible for many of us in the room. And, and that would just simply be the Murrah bombing that took place in Oklahoma City on April the 19th of 1995. And many of us remember where we were on that day and what was taking place and how we came to learn about the, the news. I was a junior in high school uh, when that took place, and I remember sitting in, I was in my uh, U.S. history class. I'm sitting in my U.S. history class, my junior year of high school, and the teacher gets a phone call on his office phone there in the, in the room, and he answers it. And of course, we only hear one side of the conversation, but he puts down the phone and he has a TV in his room and he goes and he turns the TV on and tunes to the local news station. And there we see that, that site of the Alfred P. Murrah building and, and a large portion of it missing and that sort of thing. You know, it was in the, in the days that followed that, that some of the national media that had come to Oklahoma to cover the story, coined the phrase, the Oklahoma standard, right? The, the response of these people, the response of first responders and, 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 and a community and even an entire state that rallied together in support of those who were on the front lines and, and the work that was being done. And they coined that the Oklahoma standard. It's maybe just a very tangible example of what we can think of. Sometimes good can come out of 
the darkness. None of us would ever choose, have chosen that. None of us would ever choose to walk through that again. And yet what we saw is that even in that difficulty, God was near and God worked and and that he brought people together in in amazing ways. More than that, there was was an outpouring of ministry and, and these things. So just as we think about that, as we connect with these ideas, I want to get your mind sort of uh, thinking, the wheels turning, because the goal of all of this today is that it would become very personal, very real for you, very practical even to understand how God wants to work through the circumstances, the situations in your life. Maybe something that you've gone through, maybe even for some, something that you don't even know of yet that may be down the road in, in the future, but Nonetheless, God will use his word and what he teaches us to work in our lives. So 1 Kings chapter 19, we read about King Ahab. Ahab told Jezebel. Now, Ahab was the king. Jezebel, his wife, was the queen. Ahab was a wicked king. Jezebel was a wicked queen. We know this, just even the name Jezebel, right? It commonly in our, just in our vernacular today, we refer a Jezebel as not, that's not a, a, a good thing, right? When we, even that name and that idea has kind of hung around. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message, a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Elijah is a marked man. She essentially she essentially puts out a hit on Elijah that she is going to end his life. In verse three, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Now that idea of leaving his servant there would have been sort of synonymous with the idea of, uh, of, rejecting his ministry, turning away from his ministry. At this point, what we see is that not only has Elijah run for his life, but effectively he has said, I'm done with all of this. Verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now, Horeb, if you remember, is the mount where God speaks to Moses in the, in the days of old. And so we also commonly refer to Horeb as Sinai. It's this, this, this place where God has spoken, where God has moved, where God has revealed himself. And the Spirit of God leads Elijah to Mount Horeb. In verse 9, And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel. have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. 
And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall... You shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Melocha, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And so God is speaking to him. He's working. He's giving him assignments, orders, right? Things to do. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. And so we read in the very next verse, So Elijah departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak on him. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. He said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of the oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So this, 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 this moment, these, these events, all these things that are taking, you, you may, we read this story and we think, okay, well, Elijah is on a bit of a roller coaster here, right? Highs and lows, ups and downs. But then we might even think, well, what, what do we make of all these things, anointing future kings, calling a prophet who seems to not be interested or at least preoccupied with other things. Like, what, what are we to make of all of this? I want us to kind of walk through and, and, and ask some of these questions. But at the center of all of this, what I think one of the things that is most important for us to consider is the things which we see multiple times, sort of repetitively here, because it's in some of that that it's driving home, it's reinforcing the lesson, I think, that we're to learn from the text, not only from Isaiah's life, from his example, but also certainly how that applies to our lives and how we can apply those same truths that Elijah learns, that we are meant to learn from the story of Elijah. And then also, importantly, as we always want to do as we study that, how does that fit then with our understanding of Christ, this grander story of redemption that is sort of the, the overarching narrative that we're studying all the way through the Bible, this redemption story. Well, we'll dig into that this morning and, and, uh, and hopefully try to make sense of that. On the backside of your worship guide, you found some notes that you can follow along and you can keep up as we go through uh, this text this morning and, and understand this. Two really important things that are happening in this text that are sort of repetitive in nature. And one is a question that is asked repeatedly. And the second is a series of events that take place that actually are the repetition of something that's taken place 
earlier in the story, if you will, earlier back all the way back in the book of uh, in the book of Exodus. And so I, we want to connect all of that together. Some of these the, the repetition of these things. First of all, we see in verse nine, and then again in verse thirteen, that God asks Elijah this very simple and yet important question, and He says to him, "What?" are you doing here, Elijah? Do you ever feel like that? You ever feel like when you think about your life, when you think about uh, just what you're doing, you ever ask yourself the question, what am I doing here? Or, or maybe, maybe sometimes the more simple question is just simply, what am I doing, right? Do you ever feel like that, that you, you're looking for some purpose, for some direction, for some, some, some understanding? Maybe you're trying to connect the pieces together. You're trying to make sense of all the things that have happened to you, all the stuff that's going on, the experiences that you've had in life, the, the, the things that have taken place, and you're trying to say, Lord, what am I supposed to do with all this? How do you want to use me? What am I doing here? Elijah is this great prophet of God. And at this point in the story of Israel, the prophets really function as the, 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 the preachers of their day. They, these, the prophets, God raises up prophets and he uses the prophets to speak the word of God to a nation who have wandered away, to a nation who seem rudderless, who have lost their moral compass, who don't understand God's direction and purpose the way that they should, though God has called them to walk in righteousness, though God has called them to be an example for all the nations, and yet Israel is adrift. And, and they have wicked kings and wicked queens, and they're, and they're doing these things that they shouldn't be doing. And God raises up prophets to speak his word, to call the nation back in repentance, to confess their sin, to do what is right, to walk with the Lord in righteousness. And Elijah, Elijah I should say, is one of these prophets. In fact, I believe, it's just my opinion, that Elijah is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets for the, the many things that we see Elijah doing. Sometimes I feel like because he's not one of the writing prophets, maybe we don't give Elijah his true due for just the incredible nature of his ministry. We know of prophets like Isaiah because there's the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and, and I could run on down the list of the names of the, what we call the minor prophets as well, right? Because their works are, are shorter in nature. Elijah wasn't a writing prophet, and yet he was an incredible prophet that God used in some, some powerful ways. But we see that even in the midst of that, Elijah, he, he's on that emotional roller coaster of up and down. He, the repetition of this question, I think, is meant to, it's meant to get our attention. It's meant to, to connect us with this idea so that we would ask the question. As the reader, we would ask the question, yeah, what is Elijah doing? Why is Elijah doing this? But when we ask that question of Elijah, really then that points the question back at us as well. Why, why do I do the things that I do? How is it that I can experience God's power and his work in my life and see God do the things that God has done for me and that I too end up wandering away? I too kind of become adrift. I too lack a sense of purpose and direction because I'm not living with the kind of discipline and, the, and, and that, that strong sense of God's leadership and his calling. That's exactly what's happening to Elijah here. I mean, to be sure, Elijah is a wanted man. The threats against him are very real, and they are of 
uh, of utter consequence that if Jezebel catches Elijah, she will kill him. He is a marked man. There's literally a hit out on him, right? An assassination uh, command of sorts, that if anyone finds Elijah, they are to, they are to kill him. And yet, Elijah has faced hardship before. Elijah has walked through difficult season, and God has carried him through even this, but he's reached the point of exhaustion. He's tired. He's more than tired. I I think it might be appropriate to say he's weary, and he's ready to throw up his hands and give up. I wonder if anyone feels like that in the room today. If there's anyone in the room today that you're, you're worn out, you're tired, you're exhausted, you've been through the ringer, it seems. You've been through the highs and the lows. And every time it seems like maybe things can't get worse, maybe every time that it seems like, you know, this must be, this must be rock bottom, this must be it, and, and something else seems to happen. Can I encourage you that even if you feel like that today, learn the lesson from Elijah that God is not done with you. God is still powerful. He is still authoritative. He still has a purpose for you. He still has a work for you. How do I know that? Well, you want to know the simplest test is breathe. Are you breathing? Are you, is, is your heart beating? Do you have a pulse? Then God's not done with you then he has a plan and a purpose for you. And you're here today so that you might hear this word and that God might speak to you to remind you not only of what he's done, but what he wants to do in your life. What he wants to do in your life. The second thing that we see repeated here that's really important is the experience that Elijah has on Mount Horeb. Now, this is the only time that Elijah has this experience, but if you remember from Exodus chapter 33, Moses has the very same experience. Moses prays and asks God, God, can I see your glory? God, would you reveal your glory to me? And God's answer to Moses was, you can't see my face because no man can see my face and live, but if you will go up on the mountain, then I will show you, I will pass by, and I will let you see the, the trail of my glory. And so Moses goes on Mount Horeb, and he, God hides him in the cleft of the rock and the, and the spirit of God passes by and Moses sees God from behind, beholds his glory as it were, the, the, the echoes, the ripple effect almost, if you want to think of it that way, of God's glory. And it was so great that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone brightly, right? What an incredible, powerful thing. Elijah has a similar type of experience. Now, as the reader of this story, as the reader of the scripture, the reader of the Old Testament, we're meant to read that and to, again, say, okay, I see the connection. I see some overlap. And not only are we meant to see the overlap, but the the whole point and the reason I believe that God does this experience again is because God is trying to make that connection with Elijah. Elijah, in the same way that I spoke through Moses, in the same way that I gave Moses a, a role, a voice, a purpose in calling the people to do what is right, Elijah, I'm calling you to do the same thing. Elijah, you are to lead my people. You are to be my mouthpiece. You are to speak my word to them. Now, sometimes God will do something in our life similar to what we've seen in someone else's, and sometimes God does something unique. This, we ought not to look at this and expect that we're going to have a, a, a Mount Horeb type of moment with God. That's not the point. The point isn't that that we hide and we sense the wind, the earthquake, the fire, and I don't mean like the, the, the 70s disco group, right? I mean like the, those events. And, and that It's not meant for us to have the, the, the copycat experience, and yet 
even when we see what God is doing there, we begin to understand, okay, yeah, you know, maybe I didn't have that moment, but there have been some moments along the way where God has spoken. There have been some moments, even in my life, I look back on my past and my history, and I feel like God's led me and he's done some things, and it's meant to get us thinking about what God has done so that we might be thinking about what God would do. Do you remember? It's been some weeks ago now, but do you remember when we preached on the passage in Exodus? Do you remember that I, I, I gave you a phrase to hold on to then? We said, always remember to never forget, right? That was the point of a lot of these things is that God is working in the life of his people and he's wanting to remind them of what he's done because remembering God's work in the past prepares us for God's work in our lives in the future. That's exactly what God is doing here with Elijah. Effectively, this is what he's saying. Elijah, I'm not done with you. Elijah, get up. First, though, God says to him, why don't you, here, eat and take a nap. Sometimes what we need to do when we're tired, we need to, we need to have a snack and have a nap, right? I mean, we need to rest. We, sometimes we, need to, we do need to slow down. We need to hit pause. We need to unwind, disconnect. We need to find a way to have some Sabbath, some rest, so that we might be refreshed, that we might hear from God. And maybe the, one of the things that you need to hear is that it's okay to rest. It's okay to pause. It's okay to slow down and let God speak to you in that way. But remember that the goal in all of this is to connect with God's grand purpose, his greater work in your life. So we rest in what God has done, and we rest knowing that he's not finished but we rest also that we might connect with, commune with God. Elijah does that, and the Lord says effectively to him, I'm using my own language here, but God effectively says to Elijah, Elijah, okay, now I'm not finished with you. It's time to go back to work. I've got more work. I've got future kings for you to anoint. I've got future prophets for you to raise up. I've got future people for you to lead. I've got more work for you to do, more, more ministry for you. Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. Get back in the fight. Get back in the game. It's time to go to work because God's working in Elijah's life. And just as God wants to work in our lives, when we respond to him in obedience, when we come to him at that point where we just say, God, I, I need you even as we sang already this morning. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It was very purposeful that we sang that song this morning because that's the point, is for us to understand we need the Lord, and when we come to him and we humble ourselves and we empty ourselves, even of us and our efforts and all of our, you know, all the trying, all the doing, all the things that we think we're doing for God, and we just come to him and say, all right, Lord, I need you. Would you work? God will work. We'll find that he has power to work and move. All right, so the lessons we learn are this, and I want to move through these pretty quickly. A lot of setup, I know. That was just the nature, the structure of this morning's message. A lot of buildup now to these lessons, these points of application that I think help us learn from Elijah's experience. The first lesson is we see that the Lord overcomes problems with his provision. The Lord overcame the problems in Elijah's life by providing. Elijah is a wanted man. He's running for his life. He's worn out. He's exhausted. He feels like he can't go anywhere because anywhere that he, he's literally wandered off in the wilderness. He's turned his back on God's calling. He's abandoned everything that he knows to just wander until he finds a tree and he lays himself down and says, God, it's enough. I want to die. And it's in that moment that God meets 
Elijah. It says, Elijah, here, rest. Have something to eat, take a nap, right? Rest. But, but he says, Elijah, I'm not, I've, got, I've got you. I've got what you need. God met Elijah's problems with his provision. You know, the Lord still works in our way, in our lives that same way. You have problems in your life. You do. I know you do. Everyone does. We all have problems. You have problems in life. Then turn to the Lord. Look to the Lord for his provision, just as Elijah does. You know, when we begin to really understand what's happening here, and then we begin to try to draw the layers of application and, and ways that we can learn from this, I hope that the, the first place that your mind turns when I say, look to the Lord for provision, is you think about what God has done to give you what you don't deserve, to give you what you couldn't do on your own. And even as I say that, hopefully your mind turns to the gospel, right? Because when we think about God's provision, nowhere is God's provision more clearly seen than the cross of Jesus Christ. That God gave us Jesus to pay the price for our sin and he raised him from the dead, proving his power over sin and death so that we might know that we can be forgiven, that we can be set free because God will work in our lives as well. When we come to him, we surrender by faith. Jesus is God's ultimate provision for us. In fact, when I share the gospel, I often use these little turn of phrase. I talk about, I talk about his position, and that's God's greatness, his power, his authority. I talk about my condition, that's my sinfulness, and the things that I've done wrong. His provision, that's Jesus Christ. And then ultimately, my decision. That's, the, that's a basic outline of the gospel that I use his position, my condition, his provision, my decision. When we think about his provision, it points us to Jesus. The Lord overcame your problems with his provision, with Jesus. I don't know what the problem is that you feel like you're up against today and what it is that you're facing. And I don't mean this to be trivial and I don't mean this to be uh, in, in any way sort of dismissive, but can I just tell you that I am convinced that God overcame that problem with Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you may face in the future and what you may be up against today or tomorrow or any day yet to come. If you have Jesus, then you have everything that you need to face that. Because even if the thing that you're facing costs you your life, if it's a, a battle against cancer or some other form of illness, even if, it is, uh, even if it's something, some, some other kind of darkness, and, and, and though that may take your life, nothing can take Jesus from you. Romans chapter 8 tells us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. With Jesus, we have everything. We have God's provision for us. The Lord overcomes problems with his provision. Secondly, we learn from Elijah, the Lord meets failures with his faithfulness. Praise God, even in Elijah's failures, even in his shortcomings, God was faithful. Even in the midst of all the, the things that Elijah had experienced, he walked away down and low. And, and some of us wrestle against that. And some of it is, some of it is maybe the, the, the sort of experiences that we all share in common. And some, for some, it's even more profound than that, right? There's, depression is a real thing. And I don't mean to, again, I, I'm not trying to trivialize that. All of us know what it's like to be low. All of us know what it's like to walk through hardship and difficulty. Some on a greater scale even than others. And what I want to say is, no matter, no matter what darkness you may be walking through, I believe that God will be faithful in the midst of that. Now, I'm not saying that depression is a result of some failure on your part. Don't hear that. That's not the point. 
But what I do mean to say is that even in our lowness, God can be near. He is near. And if we will learn to look to him, to lean on him, to learn from him, he will work in our lives. And when we do fail, and we will, when we do fall, when we do make mistakes, when we do throw up our hands and we do give up, even in that, God is faithful and he is good. The Lord meets failures with his faithfulness. Think again about the connection of that to the gospel. Our failures are our sin. It's the things that we've done as we've turned our, our, our heart against God, as we've rebelled against him. And yet, what was God's answer for your sin, for my sin? It was Jesus. His faithfulness on display, that God meets our failure with his faithfulness so that we might live in his life, in his overcoming power. Third, we see that God hears our complaints and gives us comfort. He hears our complaints and gives us comfort. When we struggle, when we walk through difficulty, it's okay to admit that to God. It's okay to say, God, I don't like this. God is big enough. His shoulder's broad enough to carry your complaints. But we have to learn that we don't just stop there. We don't just quit and throw up our hands because life gets hard. Because life gets hard, doesn't it? But even in that, God's not done with us. Just like he wasn't done with Elijah, I want you to hear this this morning. God is not finished with you. He's not finished with you. And so you may need to just admit it before God. Maybe the first step for you is just saying, Lord, I don't like this. God, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. This isn't what I wanted. God's big enough to hear that. But if you're going to be honest enough to speak that to him, then you need to be open enough to listen for his answer as well. And to receive that with humility and honesty when God says, okay, okay, well here, rest in my grace, rest in my goodness, rest in my purpose, know that I am enough, and now here's my plan. It's time to go to work. God hears our complaints and he gives us comfort. Do you struggle with complaints? Do you struggle with dissatisfaction? Do you struggle with feeling like this isn't fair? I don't, I don't like this. Can I encourage you? Go to God with that. But then also in humility, wait on him. Let him speak. Let him move. Stay in his word. Stay faithful in prayer. Stay connected to him. Listen and wait. And God will speak and he will give you rest in his grace and his goodness And in the right season, in the right moment, at the right time, he'll also, he'll show you his plan because he's not finished with you. And then finally, we learn this lesson from Elijah. The Lord responds to self-pity with his strength. And I use the phrase self-pity here because that's what Elijah does, right? Elijah especially pities himself. He pities his situation. Really, you could, you could, you could just as readily say that God responds to weakness with his strength because that's what this was. Now, I use self-pity because, right, it alliterates, right? And I like to do that. So self-pity and strength, they both start with us. But the, the point is that Elijah's weakness shows itself in self-pity, in feeling like I'm all alone. He says that to the Lord twice. Lord, I'm all alone. I, even I only am left. There's no one else. And what does God gently remind him of later? Oh, yeah, but there's these 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed the knee as well. Elijah felt all alone. He felt like he was the only one. 
You ever felt like that before? God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that does it right. I'm the only one who this. I'm the only. And God says, okay, well, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Isn't that what Paul writes? That I will boast in the cross of Christ because his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Let God's strength show in the midst of your weakness that he may be everything for you. He has strength for you. Do you have weakness? I know you do. We all do. Let your weakness be overcome with God's strength. Look to the Lord and live in his strength. The Lord responds to our self-pity with his strength. Praise God that at every point, it's like no matter what Elijah says, no matter what objection, what complaint, what thing comes up, the Lord's like, okay, but I've got an answer, right? The Lord has an answer. He's got a plan. He's, and, and if you hear anything this morning, hear me say this, no matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what difficulty, what hardship, and you might even say, Michael, but you don't even know. No one knows. Can I tell you the Lord knows? Nothing is hidden from him. And no matter what it is, God has a plan and he has a purpose and he will meet you in your weakness with his strength if you would turn to him. And that doesn't mean that it's all gonna happen. I don't mean that you're gonna walk out of here today and you're gonna know everything that there is to come in the future, but you can know this, that Jesus Christ offered his life as a willing sacrifice to pay the price for your sin so that no matter what you're against, you may face it in the strength that comes through the, the indwelling spirit of God, through his power at work in you. Very literally, the spirit of the living God alive in you so that no matter what you face, you don't face it alone because you have God on your side. As you surrender to him, thy faith. Today, you can receive his forgiveness. You can receive his strength. You can live in his faithfulness so that you might display his power and his provision for others to see. No matter what you're facing, look to Jesus today. Let him be your all. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation, a time of response. And even during that time of response today, the call is going to be this. Whatever you're facing, bring it to Jesus. No matter what you're up against, come to him. The song that we're going to sing together in a moment is the song that says, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And friends, that's the answer. The answer is not a better version of you. The answer is not a more good version of you somehow than the version of you in the past, right? The answer isn't to work harder, try better, be good, do more. The answer is to surrender. And let the power of God work in your heart and in your life so that he might work in you and ultimately through you. Yet not I, yet not me, but Christ in me, my all in all. May that be true in your heart and your life today. And if God's speaking to you and he's stirring in your heart and you find yourself this morning at the point of surrender, ready to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus, then even as we sing, you can come forward and you can do that. Brad and I will be standing here at the front. We would love nothing more than to pray with you a prayer of faith and to walk you through that moment of surrender that you would turn from your sin and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you might live in the strength of all that he provides as we surrender our lives to him, submit our hearts to him.
by faith. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes as we prepare for this moment of response? And then even after I say amen and we stand to sing our response this morning, the altar is open, the invitation open that we might surrender, that we might respond in obedience as God leads us today. Lord, we are grateful that you meet us at our point of need and you give us exactly what we need. Lord, that you overcome our problems with your provision, that you meet our failures with your faithfulness. You hear our complaints and give us comfort. Lord, that you respond to our weakness with your strength. God, so that in everything, we have you, Jesus, everything we need. Now in this moment, we turn to you and we sing our response and we point our hearts to you as we confess, it's not me, it's not my power, it's not my strength, it's Jesus in me. May you be all in us. May your strength be made visible in our weakness so that others may see Jesus in us. We pray this in your name this morning. Amen.